0: So, now we have the opportunity. We have a guest speaker this morning. So I'm going to invite to the stage John Reynolds. John is our youth director candidate. John has been working with Sam and our amazing volunteers these uh, past this past month. And we don't have anything to announce yet. But I have asked him to come and to share his heart. Uh, He is here with his wife, Alexia, uh, who is a teacher at Trinity Lutheran. She's also uh, been an LPN who has worked uh, in Alzheimer's care. And they have four boys. They have Zane. They have Grayson. They have John. They have Jackson. And uh, yeah. And so John has been um, a, in the past, he has been a Young Life intern. He has been a youth pastor. But more recently, he has been an Army captain in field artillery. I think I got that right. Um, So I have asked him to share, and so I would uh, appreciate if you guys would uh, extend your hands forward, and we're going to pray for him as he brings God's word. Dear God, Lord, we thank you so much for John. We thank you for his heart, for you, his heart for students. And I pray that God, as he opens your word, as he points to you in these beautiful, spirit-inspired texts, that we would hear your voice we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I was going to mess with him and pretend like the mic wasn't working because I feel really awkward wearing a mic that makes me not really look like Britney Spears, but feel like Britney Spears. I, I know, bald guy standing up here. Ryan's too generous to tell the story of how we actually met, so I'll tell it, okay? So I was walking down the street. He sees me. He shouts out, hey, baldy what are you doing? I said, just walking down the street, Sarah's like, well, I've been off this entire week. Would you mind come and preach at my church today? I'm like, "Ah, I guess I could. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. So it's been my pleasure, my extreme pleasure to work with the youth. You guys have a solid group of leaders who've welcomed me in, treated me as part of the team and allowed me to really do what I enjoy doing. The kids are really intuitive. They're really there for not only the fun and games, but to ask those in-depth questions and to long to learn more. And it's been an extreme privilege of mine. Right now, I'm just going to show you some pictures of what we've been doing, right? The very first night I came here, we carved some pumpkins. We're going to go through a few slides of carving pumpkins, some silly faces. You guys may recognize all these kids and or leaders getting in-depth, having fun carving these pumpkins. And then this last picture that we're about to come up to is a group photo. If you look, On the far left, I think left, no, right, my right, your left. There we go. I'm getting all turned around. Is my son Zane giving a very in depth smile? I joke. He's not smiling at all. He's making a very silly face or whatever, trying to be cool. So I just wanted to point that out to him. And to show that I'm fair, we've also played some games. We got to go play broom hockey, I believe. I keep calling it broom ball because it's a ball. There's not a puck. I don't think it could really be hockey. But here's some, here's some photos of us out there on the ice getting after it, getting serious. I think I got cross-checked by Jonah. I'm not 100% sure, but my wife told me I had a mark here. Uh, there was a picture of me jumping and looking foolish. I think we went by that because I was talking. Yeah, it's really small, but if you ignore the gut, because I have slight, quite a dad bod because I'm transitioning out of the army, but I'm... I'm even, right, Zane? I made fun of you. I'll make fun of me. I look goofy because I think somebody was trying to shoot a shot. So I was like, let me get out of the way. Didn't think Greg was going to capture that on photo. We've also feasted. We had a Friendsgiving. We were able to have a mini Thanksgiving, although it was instant potatoes, a little bit against my Southern raising. I still went with it. We had a great time. The kids had fun. And lastly, we have found time to actually talk through Scripture where we've had great in-depth conversations. And specifically, we've been talking about what Jesus says about God through parables. I figured as a parent, I would want to see photos of my kid, right? I would also want to know what this strange bald man who resembles Mr. Clean has been doing with my children over the past few weeks. So this morning, I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit. Uh, I was really moved. Last week, Ryan was talking about Timothy. He said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And then he's like, hang on, we're going to go over Leviticus. So I begged him. I said, there are 613 Levitical laws. Let me do 50 the Sunday I preach. He said, we will be here all day, John. I said, okay, 20. So we're thinking, right, it's about 1030 right now. We'll get you out of here by about 1:45 today. Okay, we're going to go through the first 20 Levitical laws. All right, you guys ready? No, I'm kidding. Okay, so... You may have noticed the theme, been talking about generosity this entire time. It's hard to talk about generosity without talking about the Apostle Paul. It's, he's one of the most quoted apostles throughout the entire history of all the apostles. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. The call to worship today was part of uh, one of his prison epistles, and I'm going to actually read a little bit more of that. So if everyone would please stand with me for a reading of the word of God, we're going to start in Philippians chapter three, verse one. And disclaimer, I, uh, when I was a little kid, I, uh, I got made fun of for the way I read. So I have kind of a little bit of impediment about that. So if I stumble over a word, please uh, don't laugh too loud, all right? <clears throat> uh Oh, I forgot to move the mic. Ryan briefed me on that too. Furthermore, brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same words Again, and it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who are, we who are the servants of God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such consequent confidence. If someone has reason for confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, And based on faith, I know, I want to know Christ. Yes, know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained all of this or that I already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal of which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Please pray with me. God, I just thank you for an awesome opportunity to speak to your people, Lord. I ask that You move your spirit through me and use me as your instrument, God, that it's none of John, none of my selfish ambition, none of what I want to say, but all of what you want to say to your people and your body, Lord. It's in your son's holy and wonderful name I pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, Something you may also, something about me also, I, uh, I thought about having everyone set in a circle like I did with the youth group there, but I thought you guys would be a little awkward about that. Uh, it gives me great anxiety to be on a stage with everyone looking at me. It's like, you want something from me, but I don't know. Like, I'm like, do you have a question? Who wants to be involved? Like, I'm a very interactive person. So today, we're talk, we started with a scripture from Paul at the beginning, the call to worship. This past month, there's, always, there's been something weeded in of scripture from Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. But I'm a guy who likes to know where did it start, and much like a Guy Ricci movie, we start it in the middle end, and we're going to go back to the beginning, and then we're going to work our way back to the middle end, and then we're going to finish. Okay, so hopefully we can all follow this, because I know I got lost three or four times when I was preparing it. I know you guys are smarter than me, but here we go. So we first see Paul, we're introduced to him, and we know him as Saul of Tarsus. I would make a millennial joke for my son to embarrass him, but I think I've already embarrassed him enough today. <laughs> So we see Saul of Tarsus. We first encounter him. He's a Pharisee. He's a part of the the inner circle, the Sanhedrin. We're first introduced to him through the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, which was written by Luke. Stephen gives one of the most profound sermons in history in front of the Sanhedrin, even calling them to repent, you stiff-necked people who crucified the Savior. And for his reward, they drug him out and they stoned him. He was the first Christian martyr. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. And that's where we see our first encounter with Paul. We're in Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 58. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their lo- their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats on the ground of the feet of a young man named Saul. And we continue on to eight, chapter eight, verse one. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he drug off both men and women and put them in prison. So it's easy to say that's a far cry from the Paul that we know, the person we've been quoting this entire time. When we're first introduced to Saul, there's a few things we, we see and we know about Saul. He's arrogant. He's prideful. He's selfish. He's persecuting and killing God's people. So it's safe to say Paul, sorry, sorry, Saul, not yet Paul, is putting a lot of confidence in not only his flesh, but his standing. He's a man of affluence and influence because it says he approved of their killing. It didn't say he threw the stones at Stephen. He's a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the inner governing body of the Jewish people at the time. So at a young age, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as I read his own confession as he was talking in the book of Philippians. But we see he's prideful, selfish, and he's persecuting God's church. I also put these pictures up here for you guys so you didn't just have to look at my head. If there's a glare off my head, let me know. We could probably turn the lights down. All right. So if we follow the story here, we move on to Acts chapter nine. So to set the stage for you, Paul is again, that man of affluence, influence. He's getting some, some traction, gaining some hype. Now he's ready to take it to the next level of persecution. So in chapter nine, verse one, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him, for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, which is what Christians were called in the first century, the way, um, whether men or women, he might take them prisoner to Jerusalem. So this is where my, uh, I'm, I'm from the South. I know we didn't cover that before. I was born and raised in the South. I claim Missouri because that's where I met my lovely wife, but uh, born and raised in the South. This is where my grandfather would say, this guy's getting a little too big for his britches, which I really didn't understand that phrase until, you know, later in life. I was like, what does that even mean? Uh, he's got a big head. He's drinking his own Kool-Aid. Saul's believing his hype. He's like, I'm the man. I'm going to take it to the next level. I had some success with Stephen. Everyone seems to be listening to me. I've drugged some people out. I've arrested some people here. Let's, let's take this show on the road, see how we can get to the next level. So we pick up in chapter, oh, sorry, still in chapter nine, but in verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice from the heaven. Now, before I read this, uh, I am a, uh, one of those Gen X kids, you know, uh, the hybrid Gen X and millennials. So I grew up with a voice of James Earl Jones as like Simba's father, right? So that's what I hear every time I read this, and I will spare you my impression of James Earl Jones. Number one, I cough a lot. Number two, I have to do Verizon Wireless first because he used to be the Verizon Wireless guy when you roamed. But so now we, I want everyone to just kind of picture that and picture me having a deep, solid, manly voice for a second, please. <laughs> so a voice to him cry, cries out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood up. They stood up there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not drink or eat anything. Now there's plenty of stories I can tell you about my own personal life. There's a reason why I haven't preached in, uh, over 10 years, you know, uh, but I, I think this story right here probably would sum, sum up what I, I feel like Saul would be going through in this moment. So it's not really a great elaborate story. As he, as Ryan mentioned, I've been in the army for a while and I, uh, I was, uh, training to be an officer. I'd been enlisted for a while, and I was what's called a cadet, which is basically less than dog feces to everyone else because now I no longer have rank. I'm just a pretend person in the Army. And we used to do these things called land navigation. And when I think about this, I think about Saul being like, I'm on my path, I got my way. And I think about a great experience I had at Fort Leonard Wood when I was a cadet, walking through the woods and seeing what my wife would refer to as a mountain because she's never really grew up around real mountains. But I was like, Oh, that's a pretty big hill. I bet I could climb that with this heavy pack, my map and my compass. I can climb up that hill and get to my point faster and I can finish before everyone else. So I'm climbing the hill and you know, I'm like almost bear crawling. It's not, it's steep. It's not super steep, but it, looking back on it, I shouldn't have done it. And I grab a tree and being a smart guy, I, grab, I shake it a little bit. And I am about three quarters of the way up because I passed halfway and you can't go down once you passed halfway, right? Because you're going the same distance. You might as well just keep going. I grab what I think is a solid tree and it's not. So I fall all the way down. I lose my map, my compass, my score sheet which uh, keep in mind when you're looking for these points, they're about this big, and they're green. Guess what else is green? Trees. <laughs> so it's hard to find these things. So I fall down the hill, lose my helmet. I still have my pack on, though, thankfully. I flipped over, and end over, over that. I'm laying on the ground. I don't know if I was knocked out or if I came to. I don't really know the intricacies of that. I just know I was laying there, and all. I, I didn't have my phone because you weren't allowed to have your phone. You weren't allowed to have anything but a map and a compass and, of course, a watch. I look at my watch and I'm like, oh well, let me see if I can find my map. I had lost my map and my compass in the fall. So I look around in the area for a while, no luck. And then I'm like, oh man, it's starting to get dark. People are gonna start worrying about me. They're gonna send out a search party and they're gonna make a bunch of jokes about how I got lost. So I'm like, keep looking, keep looking. And then I was like, all right, I'm going back. This is where I feel Paul is at right now. He's out of time of course correction. He's not fully made the decision yet, but he's at that time in that same moment I was at after I fell down the hill. I didn't have a profound light from heaven. I just probably knocked myself out for a few minutes, but he's now at this point in his life, he's willing to look at something else, but he starts off arrogant, still arrogant, prideful, and selfish. He's going to that road ready to kill God's people. That's all he wants to do. He feels like he's doing the will of God because he has not yet encountered Jesus. But then his persecution continues, and then he's corrected by God. And you start to see the littlest hint of humility shining through. You start to see the littlest hint of his personality shift. Now, we can debate over name shift all day. I don't think that's crucial to the story. What's crucial here is you start to see his attitude shift. And that's where we start to see a change in him. And we pick up in uh, verse 10 with Ananias. So in Damascus, there is a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come place hands on him and restore his sight. Lord Ananias answers. I have heard of many reports about this man and all harm, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So this is that moment where we've all been there, right? Where we're like, Hey God, is this thing on? Like, did I hear you talking to my good ear? Like I used to shoot cannons, God. You want me to go to who and do what? Like, is this, am I going the same way of Stephen? Like this man killed, he, he witnessed the killing of one of our brothers. He's throwing the rest of our brothers and sisters in jail. And now you want to put me in a situation to go talk to him. I, I think that that just speaks volumes to Ananias' character, to the Lord calling and pulling on him that he went to this man. But as we continue and still imagine voice of James Earl Jones here in a moment. (laughs) Uh, But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their Kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, this, this shows that God's plan is not always our plan, right? But God's plan is always perfect because we know how the story turns out. We know that Saul eventually turns into Paul. And from that, we get the most quoted apostle in the entire New Testament. We get countless, we get epistles from prison, epistles to pastors. And we also get letters to church on how to structure and govern your church, how to act holy as God and how to live a life like God. But we see Paul instantly starts teaching after this. He goes to the synagogues. He starts proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. He starts teaching instantly. And we see that God holds true to his promise too. When we turn to Corinthians, as Paul gives an account in 2 Corinthians, verses 24, starting in verse 24 of all to that point of all the all the trials and all the sufferings he's been through five times i've received from the jews 40 lashes minus 1 three times i was beaten with rods once i was pelted with stones three times i was shipwrecked i spent a night and a day in the open sea i've been constantly on the move i've been in danger of rivers in danger of bandits in danger From my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger of false believers, I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. So, at the start of the story, when we first see Paul at the beginning. He's a man of and influence, someone in the community that would be respected, someone whose opinion was sought after when discerning scripture and when leading. But now we see Saul as Paul, and he's telling us through his life, through being pelted with stones, hit with rods, beaten, receiving 39 lashes, 40 minus one, that's Significant in that in the Jewish culture in the first century, but we see a man who, despite all that, is obedient to God, humble, selfless. Now I started off with Philippians chapter three verse one, and I told you it was going to be like a Guy Ricci film, right? We're going to start in the middle. We're going to give some context because I had a professor tell me years ago in business, cash is king, in the Bible and in biblical hermeneutics context is king. So now we have context of where Saul where Paul came from where he's at. And when he's in, if you guys look at the bottom left picture, you see it's a modernized picture of a Roman cell. When he writes the book of Philippians, he's in a Roman jail cell. And it's not like a common prison. It's not like a today prison where you get 3 square meals, you get to work out at a nice gym. There's no window doesn't really look like there's much of a toilet. It is a modernized picture of it. You can see some iron railing and a light in there, just so you can see it better. But that is where he was at when he wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote those words. And what he writes to the church is rejoice. It's called the rejoice epistle because he says rejoice nine times, which doesn't seem that profound except for it's only four chapters long. So, He says rejoice nine times in it. And the only way he's going to get food in that cell is if it's brought to him. The only way he gets anything he needs is if it's brought to him by someone. Also, usually your only way out of a Roman cell was execution or trial where you would plead your case and hopefully not get executed. But while he's there, he writes the words that I read at the beginning here. He writes rejoice and he instantly is concerned about the church at Philippi. He's not, woe is me, my life is over, I used to be this, I used to be that. He tells them, watch out for these people who are going to tell you one thing that's not true in God. He's like, because a big problem in the first century was Jewish people would tell the Gentile Christians that you have to be circumcised. You have to first basically become Jewish in order to be Christian. And Paul's saying I'm the authority on that I'm the guy who did this I was the Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin now the significance of the tribe of Benjamin is basically super simple I have four boys as you mentioned as Ryan mentioned and I'm sure if you've ever talked to me I've mentioned it if you ask my youngest son Jackson who the favorite is even though we don't have favorites he says it's him Benjamin was the youngest son of Israel. If you ask my oldest son who the favorite is, he'll say it's Jackson. If you ask anyone who they think the favorite son is, it's always the youngest son. So that is a point of him saying, hey, I'm from the favorite son tribe. So we see him in his hours there, in his time there, He's, his concern for the church. And he says, all of that stuff, all of my past life, he doesn't look on it fondly. He doesn't say, oh, I remember when I was this. I remember when I was this person in the community. He says, I count it all as garbage. It means nothing to me for knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is all Paul cared about, knowing Christ and helping people. He ended his life obedient, humble, and selfless. And I've always said, if you ever talk to me about anything, I will always say in papers, in reports, and anything, you could say something, but someone else has always, 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 always said it better. So I'd like to leave you guys with the last few words I read at the beginning of this, which also happens to be my life verse. I'd like to read that really fast. Uh, it's in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this, or that I have already or I've already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me brothers and sisters I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it but one thing I do forgetting what is behind straining towards what is ahead I press on towards the goal of which Christ has called me heavenward now that's a very I love that verse because we oft- we read, I believe it's in Romans, where Paul talks about having a thorn in the, f- in the flesh, right? He, I think he strategically left out what it was, because he knew people would be like, oh, well, if you struggle with this sin, it's okay, because Paul struggled with it, right? Paul's saying, forget it. Give it to God. Press on to what God has for you. And that is my prayer for you guys today, is that, You look at the situation you're in and you realize that it's always a count to rejoice because Jesus died for your sins. There's always a count to rejoice no matter how bad it gets. And that even if you stumble, even if you have a moment where you're like, man, that wasn't the best me, it's okay. You forget about that. Give it to God, forget about it. Press on towards the goal. Um, I'd like to invite the band back up. I'm gonna pray for us really fast. God, I thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful document that wasn't necessarily written to us, but it was written for us, Lord. And I pray that today we're able to see you in this and that we're able to get past my shortcomings and my frailties and we're able to see what you have for us, Lord. I pray that you help us as we go throughout our week. Help us to discern what your will is for us and to guide us, Lord. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.